This week on Geek Explained, Captain Marvel releases in theaters this Friday. So let's go higher, further, faster with a comics catch-up on Captain Marvel. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is about Captain Marvel. For those of you who don't know, which how could you not know, uh, this Friday uh, we are going to see the release of Captain Marvel, starring Brie Larson as the titular hero. And Something that I keep hearing from uh, friends, from coworkers, is we don't know who this person is. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about her. This film will be introducing her into the larger MCU, and she is going to be jumping from this film into being a major part of Avengers Endgame, which is just over a month away. Uh, we are looking at the closing out of the first uh three the first three phases of uh the marvel cinematic universe headed up by kevin feige and um this late in the game where we've been introducing characters like the guardians of the galaxy like thor loki uh the planet of sakaar all of these kind of outside of the box uh characters that you wouldn't normally no, if you weren't kind of up and up on your uh, Marvel knowledge, as we're slowly moving towards the cosmic side of the Marvel universe, we are introducing more characters that fit in that realm, and Captain Marvel fits right in that realm. And because uh, we've been focusing a whole lot, at least in the MCU, on our Earthbound characters, there's not a lot of people who know about Carol Danvers or Captain Marvel, and. That is what this episode today is going to be all about. Uh, if you remember back when I think it was near the start of uh, this podcast, just under a year ago, we did an episode for uh, Deadpool that was coming out, or uh, I think it was Deadpool 2, and we did a kind of uh, segment called Comics Catch-Up. And this idea, this segment, this episode, Comics Catch-Up, is going to be introducing to you, the audience, whether you are familiar with Carol Danvers or you're not, my top five comics that I think you should pick up if you're interested in learning more about the character. Uh, we're going to be going through each book individually, uh, the title, the creative team, the synopsis, and then why I think these books uh, deserve a place on your bookshelf. Um, they are ranked, so they're uh, top five from five to one, and I think each of these, after doing all my research, I think each of these books represents a different stage in uh, Carol Danvers publication history which I think is great getting a full range from uh, her original Miss Marvel days all the way up to the Captain Marvel that we all know today and these books are also books I think that someone who may not be totally up and up on 
uh, the car, the cosmic happenings in Marvel and all that can just jump in and enjoy as stories. So, um, this is kind of something that I'm really excited about. I love doing research. I love reading comics that I haven't read before. And I love talking to people about comics I have read before. And one of the big benefits of these uh, comic book movies is that friends of mine who aren't as uh, obsessed, I guess is the word, uh, with comic books and these comic book characters ask me about these characters and how they affect the greater universe around them. So I'm a huge, huge proponent of being inclusive. If you're faced with someone who doesn't know as much as you are, don't turn them away. Don't be like, oh, you don't know this, you uh, heathen. Uh, I'm more about, you know, let's bring people in, let's tell people about what makes these characters so great. So, uh, with all of that prefacing out of the way, uh, we have, like I said, five books that I think you should pick up if you want to get more acquainted with Captain Marvel. So, I guess we'll go ahead and jump into the countdown right here, and the number five spot is This Woman, This Warrior, written by Jerry Conway, with art by John Buscema. Uh, this is a book that I think if you are interested in finding out the origins of the character, this is a perfect spot to start off in. And we'll, uh, we'll explain why after the uh, synopsis, which we will go ahead and read here. Before she was a captain, Carol Danvers was Miss Marvel. As NASA's security chief, Carol's life had long been intertwined with the alien Kree and their earthbound soldier Marvell. And soon, she gained incredible powers of her own and a colorful persona to go with it. So this is the origin of the character. If you want a starting place, if you're like me, and uh, you discover a new character, and you want to know how they came to be, and you want to go all the way back to the source, this is where you do it. Uh, this book, um, I believe, is now in a completed edition on Amazon. Um, really just takes in the first big run of the character. It's a great jumping on point. Uh, what's also nice about this is that uh, Carol Danvers is a is very much uh, the representative of the modern woman at the time of this book coming out. She was career driven. She was headstrong. She was ready to take on her own book, which was great at the time. This book came out in 1977, where a lot of things, not just for um, Marvel Comics, but for pop culture in general, were kind of moving forward. And it's clearly shown in this book. Uh, Carol, at a certain point during this book, becomes the uh, basically the head of a news organization and puts her in direct competition with the Daily Bugle, owned by J. Jonah Jameson. So he has a fairly heavy presence in this book, which is great if you're a J. Jonah Jameson fan. Uh, and with that, this run also has cameos from both Spider-Man and the Defenders. Uh, what was great at this point was that they hadn't really pushed out into spacefaring adventures yet for Carol. She was still 
almost street level, but she was super overpowered for a street level uh, Marvel hero. So we got to see all of that. We got to see her formative years kind of discovering her identity and where she was going to go following in the lead of uh, Captain Marvel before her. Next up, at number four, we have The Miss Marvel Years uh, from 2006, written by Brian Reed and with art by Roberto Della Torre. Now, that's not what the original story was called. It was basically just Miss Marvel in the uh, main Miss Marvel book. But in recent years, I want to say in the last like two years or so, they collected all of these stories and put them into one big compilation called the Miss Marvel Years. So that's what you're going to look for when you look for it on Amazon. And that's kind of why I titled it this. But uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis and we'll talk about the thoughts afterwards. In the House of M universe... Carol Danvers glimpsed the full potential of her life. Now, she embarks with renewed focus in a bid to become the best she can be. With support from friends like Captain America and Jessica Jones, Miss Marvel is determined to become the greatest hero around, and stopping an alien invasion that could end life on Earth is a good start. So yeah, this this story originally, again, spun out of the House of M storyline, which was where Scarlet Witch rewrote reality after her mind cracked when she lost her kids. And everything was kind of set in this alternate reality where um, the ruling class was the mutants ruled by Magneto. Uh, Everybody kind of essentially got what they wanted, uh, at least what Marvel Comics understood that their characters wanted at the time, like Peter Parker was a famous celebrity who was married to Gwen Stacy, who had never died, still had his powers and everything. Uh, Mutants were readily accepted by the public, and the main Avenger, the main uh, premier hero on the Earth, was Miss Marvel. And coming out of it, a lot of people didn't really... Uh, remember exactly what happened in the House of M event, but Carol Danvers was one of the few that did. So this book was really the first step in this long uh, character progression that evolved Carol Danvers as Miss Marvel towards becoming the Captain Marvel that we know now. And this book is very formative for that character growth. Uh, this also fo- this was also part of Marvel's kind of renewed focus on getting uh, her kind of back in the limelight. You would see from this book going forward that she would take a more prominent place in the Avengers. She would be more prominently featured in crossovers. And this was you know, part of what seemed at the time like this six year or so plan to get her up to a Captain America, Iron Man, Thor level. So again, really good book. And this was a really good, uh, this is a really good piece to check out if you're looking for how she moved up her stock when it came to the Marvel Universe. Number three is... Captain Marvel, The Rise of Alpha Flight from 2016, written by Tara Butters and Michelle Fazekas. I'm sorry if I said that wrong, with art by Chris Anka. Uh, This book is fantastic. We'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Face front, true believers. 
the captain has made her return, and oh how mighty it is. It's a bold new frontier for Carol Danvers as she soars to new heights in her greatest mission yet, as leader of the all-new Alpha Flight space program. As Earth's first line of defense, can Carol be a soldier and a diplomat? If you think your job is tough, try Captain Marvel's. So yeah, we're jumping from Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel, and this is really interesting because this is a great book if you're into Star Trek, if you're into the rise of uh, stories like Star Trek Discovery that's been, I think, really good so far, as well as uh, more light-hearted uh, space-faring romps like the Orville. And this is a just like that, a spacefaring romp. We're getting team dynamics. We're getting uh, Carol stepping into the leading position of a team. She's never really been the leader of a team before. Um, and if the names of the writers sound familiar to you, that might be because they are the creative team behind Agent Carter. Uh, this was, I want to say, like right around the same time, maybe a little bit after... Uh, Agent Carter ended, but I loved that show. If you loved that show, I think you'll dig this book because they bring those sensibilities, those uh, kick-ass female sensibilities leading a team, kind of being underestimated and having to kind of buck the system into this book. And it's really, really well done. The art is great. I'm, I've always been a big fan of Chris Anka's art, and he is at top form here. So I definitely think you should pick this up if you're a fan of the kind of spacefaring, uh, earth-protecting kind of superhero stories. Next up at number two, we have Higher, Further, Faster, More. From 2014, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and with art by David Lopez. We'll jump to the synopsis here. Hero, Pilot, Avenger. Captain Marvel, Earth's mightiest hero with an attitude to match, is back and launching headfirst into an all-new ongoing adventure. But as Carol takes on a mission to return an alien girl to her homeworld, she lands in the middle of an uprising against the Galactic Alliance. So this is the start of the current run of Captain Marvel. Uh, this starts with Captain Marvel number one and heads on through. Uh, this is also a great book exploring uh, the Marvel Cosmic Universe, which, again, as we said, is becoming more and more part of the MCU, seemingly as each movie goes by. Uh, Avengers Infinity War had a lot going on in space, and I'm assuming Endgame is going to do the same thing, though we're going to get a lot of uh, time travel as well as space travel, it seems like. Uh, this book also features some pretty uh, heavy cameos by, by everyone's favorite Guardians of the Galaxy, and at this point in 2014, this was the Guardians of the Galaxy that everyone is familiar with. Uh, the roster has rotated too many times to count. They've even got a new book out right now, which has been really good so far, with an all-new roster, with the only consistent uh, members between the two groups being Star-Lord and Groot. So um, this is a great book. This is the book that I think you should check out if you really want to get an understanding for how I think the feel of the movie is going to be. Uh, you can tell from at least the trailers and uh, everything that's been said in interviews, that this 
run specifically was a huge inspiration on the film just from the look the attitude and i think that has a lot to do with how good kelly sue deconic is at writing captain marvel uh she gives her this you know military inspired uh kick butt take no prisoners kind of attitude and it can rub some people the wrong way, and I think we see that a lot in uh, crossovers that feature Carol, because not a lot of people have as good a handle on her as Kelly Sue DeConnick does. But um, this is the book if you want to get a familiar feeling for Captain Marvel as she is right now. And I think this is a book where you can jump on and ride out the wave and that'll bring you all the way up to speed at where we are with her character and her character has gone through a bunch of changes we just had a uh, book called the life of captain marvel that's been coming out kind of redoing carol's origin story uh that's not going to be on the list just because it's uh it's a little weird for me and i think personally it's messing with a lot of carol's established continuity which is always kind of a bummer so um i would say definitely check this out this is a great space story which as we head into phase four we're definitely going to be seeing more of and finally at our number one spot for those of you who have uh a pretty familiar um knowledge of captain marvel and her books recently this is probably no surprise to you but number one is in pursuit of flight from 2012 written by kelly sue deconic with art by dexter soy we'll jump into the synopsis here the mightiest of earth's mightiest heroes is back ace pilot legendary avenger 100 percent pure badass Carol Danvers has a new name, a new mission, and all the power she needs to make her own life a living hell. As the new Captain Marvel, Carol is forging from a challenge from her past. Witness Captain Marvel in blazing battlefield action that just may change the course of history. So, this book is the turning point for Carol Danvers, not just in her fictional history, but also in her publication history. This is where she made the jump from Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel. I remember there was a lot of uh, stuff, a lot of feelings when this change was made. Uh, a lot of people were really, really in support of it. Uh, we saw a lot of the, um, a lot of the old school um, she can do it propaganda stuff that went up in support which i thought was great and i thought was a really good use of uh old school propaganda in modern day comics but there was a lot of pushback too because people uh had really people were really attached of course to the original captain marvel the marvel version at least uh that being captain marvel of the kree who famously died of cancer back in i want to say it was the 80s in marvel comics and we hadn't really seen a captain marvel since then uh of course over in DC, Shazam is Captain Marvel, uh, though it looks like, especially with the new film, that they are wiping that slate clean and he's just going to be called Shazam, which I think is problematic, but that's for another episode. Um, 
for me, honestly, it's been uh, this book that really caught my attention with Carol Danvers as a character. Uh, I'd kind of dropped off with the character for a while, and this book was what brought me back. I remember reading the initial run of this and being really impressed, uh, not just with the art, which, of course, you know, I am a huge uh, art fanatic. If you have good art in your book, you will four times out of five will normally get me to read your book. But the writing was also really good. This was Kelly Sue DeConnick's first real stab at Captain Marvel at Carol Danvers. And I think she knocked it out of the park. We did see uh, kind of a push for more uh, hard-ass militaristic um, uh, more hard-ass militaristic attitude from her, which I think softened as the book went on and we see that in the higher further faster more run but this book was really what had her step out into the spotlight and what was great is in this book you see that transition from going from miss marvel to captain marvel and for her it's not something that was thrust upon her it's not something that she um was forced into this is a choice she made she made a conscious choice to give up the Miss Marvel identity, which was eventually picked up by Kamala Khan, who was amazing, and she chose to take the mantle of Captain Marvel. Uh, this is what I would say is probably the best jumping on point for uh, those of you who are interested in the character and interested in the film. This is going to be the exact moment where Carol's trajectory changed and she became one of the premier heroes in the Marvel Universe uh, and kind of started the ball rolling to get her to be one of the premier heroes in the MCU and the greater mainstream of uh, pop culture. This also gives a great uh, full background on this on the uh, history of Carol Danvers, which is also great if you're looking for a, uh, a quick kind of catch up on the character, this book does provide that. Provides just enough for you to understand what's going on with her while still giving room for you to be surprised. So this is a fantastic book. This also deals with time travel. Uh, we do see Carol Danvers traveling back in time a little bit, which if you, uh, subscribe to the theories and the uh all of the speculation that's been going on with endgame we're gonna see a lot of in that film so uh this is i think the best book that you could pick up if you want to start reading captain marvel on the regular and i think that all five of these books each of them having a specific window into Carol's life at separate times throughout her history, I think are great spotlights on her character. This one, for me, because it did uh, debut her as Captain Marvel, had to be number one. It was really close between this and uh, Higher, Further, Faster, More, because that is the book that they seem to be really drawing inspiration from. But I think this... If you go from this book, you read this run all the way into the Higher, Further, Faster, More run, it's going to be a more complete story, and you're going to enjoy both stories more overall. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be it for this comics catch-up. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, looking forward to doing more of this. Uh, 
Uh, I love, like I said, bringing in new comic book readers or comic book readers who aren't super familiar with a certain character and getting them to check out more. So um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up here. Stay tuned for our newest segment, a surprise new segment that will be uh, debuting after the jump and uh if you are interested in comics catch-ups if you would like to request any uh characters that you would like me to do a comics catch-up on feel free to reach out on twitter at geeksplainedpod and give us a follow that's at geeksplainedpod you can also send emails because i'm an old man and i still read emails you can send any and all emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but for now let's jump over to the weekly review and welcome to the debut of the weekly review this is the segment of our show where i will be doing a review and it will be weekly so um I've been talking about in previous episodes that uh, I'd be interested in doing weekly reviews like this, whether it be for a certain comic book, whether it be for a TV show, a cartoon, what have you. So I talked talked it over with some people, got some really good feedback on it, and I decided that I was going to uh, debut this segment in this episode. So uh, I figure the best way to kick off the weekly reviews are to uh, really focus on a show that I think has been knocking it out of the park since the very first episode, that being Doom Patrol. So our first focus on these weekly reviews is going to be on the Doom Patrol show, which is on the DC Universe app. Uh, I was really impressed by the first episode, so much so that I have decided to uh, fork over the money to go with the app for the monthly fee and i am gonna stick through all the way through this first season i've been really enjoying it so far and i figured we if this is going to be the first focus that we should jump in before we get too deep into the season so i shared with you my thoughts on the very first episode really enjoyed it i was looking forward to more and so we are going to kick up this edition of the uh, weekly review with the review for episode two and three so that we can kind of catch up to where the doom patrol show is right now we are heading into episode four this friday as of this recording and so i figured i'll give you my thoughts on the Uh, second and third episodes of the Doom Patrol show, and I'm going to start off with uh, Cyborg. So Cyborg was introduced in episode two, right after all of the craziness that happens in episode one, which ended on a big cliffhanger with essentially the town nearby the uh, Calder mansion getting swallowed up by a black hole. This episode kicked off with uh, the chief being dragged into this black hole by Mr. Nobody and the introduction of Cyborg. So Cyborg has officially joined the team and he is fantastic. He is absolutely 
so good and he is kind of portrayed as the only competent member of the team he's the only one who knows what he's about has all this stuff together and is able to approach uh situations like a comic book hero would and i appreciate having that uh that perspective on it because we've been we've of course gotten attached to these kind of uh this isle of misfit toys that is the doom patrol and having cyborg kind of show up there as an established hero is really cool and i like this idea that um we it hasn't exactly been confirmed yet but we do know that he's at least met the justice league and that they are because this is again part of the titans universe uh they are around they are active they are doing stuff so getting his perspective on it the idea that he's a hero and also having kind of a darker tone with his relationship with his father silas stone i think is really interesting and they drop some hints in episode two that victor might not exactly have all of the uh have all the answers he might not have his correct uh sequence of events straight we get this kind of hint through um not just flashbacks but also all of the stuff that happens when they go inside of this dimensional doorway donkey uh that it's possible that his dad was experimenting on him which i think would be a total left turn from the original cyborg uh, origin story but i'm here for it i'm good to go and i'm interested and the actor who is playing this role i i okay so i feel bad i feel bad for the actor who played cyborg in the justice league movie because it seemed like he was really intent on making the most out of what he could with that character but the movie was not structured to allow him to shine and this cyborg while yes it is a lower budget and we don't see him in all of his cgi glory it's a lot of uh practical effects and makeup and i just i like this version he's so likable he's so charismatic and he brings a certain amount of legitimacy to the team i think that i really enjoy and the idea that niles calder was part of his developmental uh state when he first became cyborg and was able to really steer him in the right direction and now he is joining the hunt to find the chief uh i just think is great i think he was an integral part of uh this team that i think might have been missing in the first episode but now that they're all together it's fantastic uh, we also get to see more of uh, Larry, his backstory. Uh, we get to see more of how much Rita really doubts herself. And we get to see how Robot Man's just kind of along for the ride. He's, uh, he's really um, trying his best to find the chief, try to figure out how to fix the situation that they're in but he is so out of his depth and especially when cyborg shows up and really kind of takes charge they have this really fun back and forth rivalry that i think is uh, really interesting for this story and we haven't really seen before so um yeah second episode really great very very trippy they go inside of this donkey they're all 
uh, experiencing these nightmares, and so it's very surreal. So, again, really good episode. The inclusion of Cyborg really uh, instills that missing piece that I think makes, just kind of pushes this over the top. For episode three, uh, we traveled to a distant land, also known as Paraguay, to kind of uncover the origins of Mr. Nobody and in the hopes that finding that out will give them some clue as to how to find the chief. Uh, This episode was packed. This episode was packed with a lot. So they go to (laughs) this place called Fuketopia, um, which is essentially kind of set up like Disneyland, like a theme park, and maybe that's because I, we went and uh, we went to Disneyland this past weekend as kind of a uh, belated anniversary trip, and I, it, it was so funny because they had like a whole orientation with a puppet show, and they introduced this one guy who's really like excited, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get magnets in my feet." And essentially, this place is set up for um, high-paying clients to buy superpowers. And it's really interesting because a lot, again, a lot happens here. So we get to see more of Jane's uh, personalities. We also get a hint at her origin, which is that she was experimented on and... Uh, This resulted in her fracturing and into her 63 personalities and that she was originally rescued by uh, Niles and that's what brought her into uh, the mansion. We also got to see a lot when it comes to Larry. I've a lot of people are sleeping on Larry. A lot of people are focusing on Robot Man, on uh, Crazy Jane. But Larry Trainer, played by Matt Bomer, is really, really interesting. And his whole back and forth with the negative spirit when they're trapped inside the machine, I thought was really well done. We don't really have a whole lot of um, background on the negative spirit, at least this iteration. We do know in the comics that uh, the negative spirit was part of a larger collective. And... I'm really interested to see where they go with it because uh, you can tell at least by the end of this episode that Larry has a lot of trepidation on what uh, on his relationship with the negative spirit going forward and we'll have to see from there. Uh, Cliff also calls almost calls his daughter. Uh, we know that he's going to be hunting for his daughter for most for probably most of the season, but getting that little moment of him was really nice. And then uh, Cyborg and Rita really got to bond in this episode, and I enjoyed that. We got to see how uh, Silas is kind of being this overprotective, controlling dad, and how that affects uh, Cyborg's want to be part of this, like I said, Isle of Misfit toys, just so that he can get away and have some autonomy away from his dad. And we also got a hint towards Grid, uh, who seems to be kind of his AI companion along with his systems. Now, if you are familiar with the comics, you know that Grid was eventually used as a sleeper agent for the crime syndicate of Earth 3 to take over uh, Victor Stone's cyborg body and also essentially become a sentient computer virus. So I don't know if that's where they're going to go. Um, Especially not with the uh, 
crime syndicate, but I could easily see Grid almost being Silas's like backup plan if he does end up being evil. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, we did get some interesting stuff. We do know now that uh, Niles Calder was there on the night that uh, Eric Morden became Mr. Nobody and that there's some unfinished business there and some uh, some secrets that the Chief is keeping. We already know, especially from the first episode, that Chief is uh, full of secrets. So I'm interested to see where that goes from there. We also got the debut of the Animal Vegetable Mineral Man, who is the weirdest, weirdest comic book villain that just ever was. If you if you just if you Google right now Animal Vegetable Mineral Man, you will see some of the weirdest Doom Patrol art with one of the dumbest looking uh, comic villains of all time. Now, this this version of the character was part of the whole uh, Fugtopia trying to get superpowers. He was the really excited tourist who wanted uh, magnets in his feet. But um, he, in like the post-credits scene, I guess, he is revealed to have been in the chamber to give him superpowers just a little too long. And it gave him this wacky... Uh, all this wacky powers that he has in the comics where he's got, you know, like a raptor head attached to his body along with, you know, a plant right arm, kind of like Groot. It's it's really, it's dumb. The character's dumb. But I really enjoyed seeing the, uh, the nod and the callback to the history of the Doom Patrol. And another big... Uh, another big hint towards the history of the Doom Patrol was the... Blink and you miss it reference to the Brotherhood of Evil. Uh, Cyborg made a reference that Eric Morden was part of this uh, evil syndicate called the Brotherhood of Evil back in the 30s. And if you are familiar with the Doom Patrol or you listen to our Doom Patrol episode, which is really good. And if you haven't listened to it, you should go listen to it. Uh, the Doom Patrol's arch enemies are the Brotherhood of Evil. And so I, I loved getting that reference and I hope we get more of it. Um, I would love to see Brain. I would love to see Madame Mask if we end up getting to the point where we see uh, General Zahn. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in and I'm hoping that we get more backstory on the Brotherhood of Evil as well as Niall's history with them as well as uh, Mr. Nobody. And it's also really interesting, I think, that we're playing with this sliding timeline, too. Because we do have uh, Cliff, who was a race car driver in the 80s. We have Larry Trainer, who was a fighter pilot in, I want to say, the 60s or 70s. We have Rita Farr, who was an actress in the 50s, but they aren't aging. And it's like, maybe this is part of their accidents. Like, I understand for Cliff, because he's a you know, a brain and a robot body. And I kind of can let Rita pass because she's, you know, able to mess with her appearance and stuff. But Clip or uh, but Larry is, you know, forty near forty years old at this point. And or it's near forty years old since his accident. He was already had to be, you know, late twenties, early thirties when that happened. So he's way over 30 but he's still kind of moving around uh same for jane we 
we were kind of when they put out the solicitations for this show we were kind of getting this idea that every member of the doom patrol is from a different uh different decade and getting all those uh perspectives was really cool but uh we don't know when exactly jane got picked up we don't know how long she's been with niles and also niles himself we see in the puppet recreation that niles looks exactly the same in the 1930s so um i don't know there's there's a lot of questions we do know that uh niles originally was part of this program to uh make immortality was trying to like develop immortality at least in the comics so i'm wondering if that's going to come into play here but uh yeah puppet patrol was a fantastic episode uh the episodes just keep getting better i think so far at least uh the first episode was fantastic the second episode was even better and this one topped both of the previous episodes we're still getting weird wacky stuff with often crude humor that can turn some people off but i'm still really enjoying it it's super intriguing and the heroes kind of left at the end with uh no chief no answers and no one really sure what to do next so i'm interested to see where they go from there but now i want to hear from you guys uh what have you thought if you've been watching doom patrol so far what have you been thinking of the episodes uh who's your favorite character who's your least favorite character what are you interested to see from the comics get carried over and feel free to join in the conversation at geek explained pod on twitter so that is going to do it for our debut episode our debut of the newest segment the weekly review uh feel free to again recommend any uh shows you think i should jump on to following this since we are covering comics film tv and more it's in the intro so i'm looking forward to covering more on a more weekly basis uh, and that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Make sure you stick around after the jump for this week's comics countdown. And again, let me know what you think of this segment. Let me know what you think of Doom Patrol. Let me know what you think of any of the stuff we've talked about today. So feel free to uh, let me know about all of that and more again on Twitter, through email, however you want to do it. I love having conversations with you guys. But for now, let's jump over to this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about what books I'm picking up for New Comic Book Day and the books that I think you should be picking up as well. Uh, Typically, we go through a top five, sometimes more, sometimes less, and I'll be giving you the title, the creative team, as well as a short synopsis for each book. Now, of course, these synopses will be accompanied by the synopsis voices, Uh, and if you would like to suggest a synopsis voice, feel free to do so at GeekSplainedPod on Twitter or through email to GeekSplained at gmail.com. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books for you this week. So pretty pretty consistent uh the last couple weeks have been you know six seven eight books and this one has a couple heavy hitters this week and i'll let you know 
what they are as we go along. But uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and jump into the first book, which is a new number one for a limited series called Meet the Skrulls. This is number one of five, written by Robbie Thompson with art by Nico Henriken. This is an interesting, uh, this is an interesting book. I'm not gonna, I'll give you my thoughts after the synopsis, so we'll go ahead and jump into it here. Who do you trust? The Warners are your typical family. Dad works at Stark, Mom works in a senator's office. Jennifer and Alice are students at Stamford High School. The only thing that makes them different is that they're shape-shifting Skrulls, and have infiltrated our society to pave the way for a Skrull invasion. Robbie Thompson and Nico Henriken bring the Marvel Universe down to Earth with a bold new look at the Skrulls that will test even your loyalty. So yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting idea for a comic. Uh, we, of course, know that with Captain Marvel, the Skrulls are going to be coming into kind of a uh, mainstream, uh, kind of the mainstream limelight, which will be cool because I think the Skrulls are some of the best uh, comic book antagonists in pretty much not just Marvel, but in all of comics. And I'm excited to kind of see a different light on them because we've really, with like few exceptions, such as like a Hulkling, we've really only seen them as villains or any kind of antagonist to our heroes, basically bad guys to get stomped on. So I'm interested to see a book that's kind of uh, led by them instead of being, uh, instead of them being, you know, the big enemies. And I like that this is almost almost like a uh, almost like a cold war spy uh story i hope that's kind of the direction they're going and kind of in the same vein of like uh, the americans if you haven't watched that show check it out it's really cool um I, and I'm really interested. I'm just I'm really interested in seeing how this goes. This kind of gives me uh, some vision vibes, the Tom King uh, vision maxi series that he did. So I'm interested to see where this goes. And I definitely think you should pick it up. Next up, we have Avengers number 16, written by Jason Aaron with art by David Marquez. This is continuing the War of the Vampires storyline where Blade is teaming up with the Avengers to fight off this uh, vampire civil war that's going on. Uh, it's been really interesting so far. The best part about it has honestly been the art. David Marquez is a hell of an artist. And teaming up with Jason Aaron, who I really enjoy as a writer is just it's it's a match made in heaven so we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here war of the vampires part three welcome to the avengers blade hope you survive the experience Though there are plenty of vampires out there that definitely won't, as the civil war tearing apart the worldwide undead community rages on. So yeah, um, I I'm interested to see where this goes. We've been getting a lot of uh, building blocks. That's what's been great about this uh, story so far is each issue kind of ramps up the tension, which you would think is you know exactly what you would get in any comic book story, but sometimes uh especially with these sprawling stories dealing with a lot of like uh world building stuff like that there's a lot of uh um kind of filler kind of a lot of uh slow burn storytelling not so with this arc uh i really think that jason aaron's avengers so far has been excellent 
all the way through uh, issue one all the way up until now, and I really think you should pick this up. Next up, we have the end of a certain comic book run. This is Green Arrow number 50. Uh, this book is one of the uh, one of the casualties, I think, of the whole push away from Rebirth that DC has kind of been doing in the last year or so. Uh, Green Arrow was one of the best books coming out of Rebirth. Everything about it from bringing uh, Ollie and Dinah back together to telling his hard-traveling hero story was really good, and I'm really sad that this book is ending because it doesn't seem like from any solicitations I've read that he's going to be getting another series or going to be having a uh, prominent role in other people's series, at least not from the solicitations that I've read. So I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping they have a larger plan for him, but uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Spinning out of the events of Justice League, No Justice and Heroes in Crisis. When a black ops organization discovers Green Arrow's long-held secret, a mysterious weapon in the form of a box given to him by the Justice League, they'll deploy their top undercover agent, Black Canary. On opposite sides of this festering secret, Green Arrow and Black Canary will clash as only two lovers can by aiming straight for the heart. A mystery six months in the making, the box that can destroy the Justice League will be opened, and the Emerald Archer's world will be forever changed. This extra-sized anniversary issue of Green Arrow's life isn't just ending, it's burning to the ground. So, yeah, I'm really interested, by the way, written by Colin Kelly, art by Javier Fernandez. I feel bad for Colin Kelly, Colin Kelly, because he kind of just really found his footing on the book, and now they're kind of cutting his... Uh, legs out from under him so um yeah i'm really bummed i'm really bummed but i'm excited to see where they go with this uh especially with all of the stuff that has happened to green arrow uh, i think one of the uh one of the sleeper um kind of one of the things that's flown under the radar with a lot of comic book readers at times even even myself, is how much these big crossovers in the last couple of years have affected Oliver. Um, no Justice put that box in his hands. Uh, Batman turned over basically the way to destroy the Justice League to him. And uh, I'm not sure. We still don't know what's in there, so this issue is supposed to let us know. And then Heroes in Crisis. The Heroes in Crisis tie-in for Green Arrow is one of the most heartbreaking books uh, that we had so far tying into that story and with the death of Roy and everything that's going on with that there is a lot changing for Oliver Queen and I'm excited to see where this goes next up we have Batman number 66 written by Tom King with art by Jorge Forns uh, this has been interesting this has kind of been a um, this whole continuing the uh, the nightmares storyline has been kind of a placeholder. Uh, I know a lot of readers and a lot of comic book fans that I've talked to are just kind of waiting for the story to end so we can get back to the main uh, meat of the Tom King Batman run, which left with a hell of a cliffhanger with uh, Batman essentially being knocked out by his own father, Flashpoint Batman, Thomas Wayne. Um, so I'm really, I'm chomping at the bit to get back to it. I know a lot of people other are too. And um, it's not to say I haven't been enjoying the uh, Nightmares 
issues so far, but I really, I'm really ready to get back into that story. So hopefully, um, we're not, hopefully this Nightmares storyline doesn't go so far and doesn't get stretched too much that readers start dropping off the book. Um, and hopefully we can get back to that main story and get some answers, but we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The Nightmares storyline continues. Something or someone is forcing Batman to live through some of his darkest fears, amplifying the Dark Knight's anxieties and reimagining some of his worst traumas. Now that Batman has become aware of the nature of these delusions, he must find a way to break through and find out the source of his disruption. So who does he turn to for answers? Why, the question, of course. But is Vic Sage just another figment of the Cape Crusader's imagination? So yeah, again, I'm interested to see where this goes. Uh, we got a really good uh, cameo by Constantine in, uh, I, I don't know if it was last issue or the issue before that, but um, I'm down for Batman in question. Uh, this, one of the nice things about uh, the Nightmare storyline is it's giving him these really uh, out-of-the-box, I think, uh, team-ups that we don't normally see in his storyline so again i'm interested but i'm ready for this to kind of be over so we can move on from it next up we have uncanny x-men number 13 written by matthew rosenberg with art by salvador la roca uh this is one that i am really really excited about uh last issue cyclops and wolverine finally are back together and they're going to try and save the world uh x-men team with them or not and the cover kind of is showing a hit list that they might be hunting down and it's also showing possibly the return of the 90s uh jim lee era cyclops costume that was my first cyclops costume that was the cyclops that i was introduced to in the original animated series which took a lot of inspiration from that initial jim lee 90s run so i am always down to see that costume come back but we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here Cyclops and Wolverine have drawn together a new team of X-Men from the ashes of X-Men disassembled, and now they turn their eyes to setting their agenda. Cyclops has a list, a list of things the X-Men have to take care of, if it's the last thing they ever do. So yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes. We know with the whole uh, Age of X-Men, Age, Age of X-Man storyline that's going on right now, most of the main cast of the x-men books are dealing with that in that alternate reality i've i'll be honest i've kind of stayed away from it because i'm not really interested in that story i'm much more interested in this darker um it almost seems like a revenge quest for these two basically you know the two heavy hitters of the x-men franchise you know having to go back to basics and it looks like hunting down some of the world's most dangerous mutants so i'm definitely picking this up and i definitely think you should as well next up we have young justice number three uh written by brian michael bendis with patrick gleason on art i've loved the last two issues of this book but i am really hoping that we start to get some answers uh the first issue ended with a hell of a cliffhanger with bart allen impulse finding connor 
Sarah Kent in Gemworld. And then issue two didn't feature any of that. So I'm hoping that we kind of get a uh, course correction with issue three and we finally get some answers on, you know, why is Connor here? How long has he been there? Why has he got this weird patchy beard? And uh, I, I need answers. I need answers from this issue. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Young Justice is back, baby. Bendis and Gleason reunite all your favorites in one place. Robin, Tim Drake, the best Robin, and Amethyst, best princess of Gemworld, team with Wonder Girl, Ginny Hex, and the new Teen Lantern, not even close to the best Green Lantern, to take back the mysterious Gemworld from the evil forces of Dark Opal. Meanwhile, the reunited Impulse and Superboy have a lot of explaining to do. Also in this issue, find out where Connor Kent has been all this time. This is a big issue for Superboy fans. So yeah, um, with the synopsis, it's kind of it's promising some answers. So I'm hoping we get it. Uh, I have made no attempt to hide how skeptical and how um, uh, how disappointed I've been in Brian Michael Bendis so far. Uh, I have dropped off his Superman book as well as Action Comics because at a certain point it became clear to me that um the superman that i had really become attached to uh the one that had gone through all of this hardship and went through the entire uh um tomasi and gleason run wasn't the superman that bendis was interested in writing and he really only wanted to write his version of superman so i kind of i'm dropped off of the superman books i don't like that but i'm just i'm not interested in the stories that he's telling so i'm hoping i'm really hoping that um he is able to stick the landing with young justice uh he's got three of my favorite characters in tim drake bart allen and connor kent in this book so i'm really i'm hoping that this this book keeps to a certain level of uh a certain standard of quality and last but not least the most anticipated book for this week is doomsday clock number nine we're almost there we're almost there so this is written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank. This is issue 9 of 12, so we only have three more issues after this. Um, it's weird because the book has been consistently good. There has not been a single issue out of the eight issues I've read of this book that has been bad in any way, shape, or form. But the scheduling and the delays have killed the momentum and the hype for this book. And this is, this is a big thing. This is a big book. We're bringing in Dr. Manhattan. We're smashing together the DC and Watchmen universes. We might be bringing back the Legion of Superheroes. We might be bringing back the JSA. There are so many things going on in this book. But because it was honestly supposed to wrap up, I think, back in October of last year, um, it's kind of being pushed aside. And that sucks because it is, I think, objectively so far has been a better story than Heroes in Crisis. But because Heroes in Crisis has kept up a regular release and it's been really uh, taking a lot of uh, creative liberties with these characters, I it's kind of on a 
higher tier than Doomsday Clock, which sucks because, again, I think Doomsday Clock is a fantastic story and has been a fantastic story so far. But we need more regular releases. We've got three more issues. This doesn't seem like it's going to be wrapping up until like at least July. And I'm really hoping that the fact that this, I think this got delayed, like this specific issue got delayed at least like two months. So I'm hoping that we get a monthly uh, release for this and it's not um, every other month like it's kind of been, but I just, God, it's, there's so many things I want to say about this book because again like I loved every single issue that's come out but they're not coming out quick enough so and I realize it's a really kind of first world problem kind of complaint but I'm just I really want this book to um to really uh hit the target land on its feet and I know it's going to be a considerably different read when it's collected in uh, trade form but so far I'm I'm just I'm hoping that uh Jeff Johns and Gary Frank stick the landing on this so we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the critically acclaimed series by master storytellers Jeff Johns and Gary Frank reaches its most shocking chapter yet when the DC Universe collides with its greatest threat, Dr. Manhattan. But nothing is hidden from Manhattan, and the secrets of the past, present, and future will rock the very foundation of the DC Universe. So yeah, it's it's promising some big revelations, and I'm hoping that uh, it fulfills that promise uh we've had really good interactions the uh the summoning of dr manhattan was really great this kind of impending doom that the book is basically just dripping with every single issue kind of leading up to this uh prophecy essentially that dr manhattan has seen of him clashing with superman and then seeing nothing not knowing if it's Superman killing Dr. Manhattan or if Dr. Manhattan just wipes everything out. Um, I'm really, I really want to know <laughs> how this story is going to end because this was the whole crux of the rebirth event. This was, the whole thing started with DC Rebirth number one, fed through uh, both Titans as well as the button crossover between Batman and the Flash and now settled into doomsday clock and i'm really hoping that we get everything that we wanted seeing as how again like i said dc is kind of moving away from the rebirth initiative and moving into god knows what so um yeah that is gonna do it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have meet the scrolls number one avengers number 16 green arrow number 50 batman number 66 uncanny x-men number 13 young justice number three and doomsday number nine uh, if you have any books that you think that I missed or any books that you think I should definitely be picking up, please feel free to let me know. Um, I love having conversations with you guys about the comics and about how um, how many goods how many good books are out right now because there are a lot of good books. Um, so yeah, I'm always interested in finding new reads. So uh, again, feel free to interact at any of the social media uh, platforms as well as uh, comments feel free to give us reviews as well um, I'm 
waiting with bated breath on the first uh, public review that I can read on air. So if you would like to be that first public review that I read, feel free to give us a review at uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you feel comfortable and wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast on. Um, I've been checking over our uh, our statistics and everything, and I've been really... God, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really happy with the growth of the podcast so far. You guys have been enjoying basically everything that we've been putting out uh, for the most part, of course. And we are, as we're looking at it right now, uh, we're looking, we're almost, we're just under 3,000 listens. And I am super excited about that. Right now we are at 2,895. So doing my super math in my head, we are just 105 plays of this podcast away from 3,000. And seeing as how we're coming up on our big one-year anniversary this uh, Sunday on the 10th, uh, I couldn't be happier about that. I'm really excited. I'm really excited that everything's been going so well. And I'm excited to go into year two, volume two, as uh, I'm kind of coining it right now. And I'm excited for you guys to be joining me on that journey. So, uh, but that's going to do it for this week. Um, We do have, again, the big anniversary episode that is coming out, depending on schedule, where it's either going to come out on Sunday or um, possibly next week. So stay tuned for that. I'll try and keep you guys updated through the Twitter. So again, give us a follow. Make sure you're keeping up with us at Pod. That's at P-O-D. And uh, yeah, so we will see you for the next episode. Same geek time, same geek channel. And for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.